Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of BibleQuest.org, the talk show. Um, we don't have a specific topic today, but we are wanting to hear from everybody in the audience. And we uh, want us to give, we want you to give us your questions today. So uh, you can do that in one of three ways. One, you can comment below and we'll try to respond to those questions as soon as we can. There's a little bit of a delay there. Uh, the second thing you can do is you can call in uh, at BibleQuest.org. Uh, you can download the app there and sign in. Uh, or you can text us using the phone number, 530-570-8378. That's on your screen. We'll leave that screen up uh, as we go through the program today so that you can always know how to get your questions to us. Yeah, and... Uh, and uh, Drew? Yeah, Stephen, if, if they're joining us through the uh, BibleQuest.org app, as you mentioned... We want the audience to use the Q&A window uh, for their comments and questions, not the chat window in the app, the Q&A window. Um, and if you are joining us through Facebook, uh, as you mentioned, Stephen, there is a 20-second delay. But we plan to get through all the questions, so please, everyone in the audience, send them in, text them in, or call them in. Um, and we already have some, some questions uh, submitted in from Facebook this morning, in fact, and we'll get started with them but we're hoping to see them come in live from the audience uh, and then we'll address those from the audience live as they come in. Very good. With that said, let's make sure we introduce everybody. Uh, Scott from Gettysburg is here. Hey, Scott. Hey, Stephen. Good afternoon. Uh, Drew from Honesdale, Pennsylvania is with us as well. Hey, Drew. Yep, that's me. I'm here. And we're hosting from my Facebook page today. I'm Stephen Rouse, also from Gettysburg. Uh, let's get into the questions. Uh, we have a fair number of questions that came in, as we've already mentioned, on Scott's thread this morning. And Scott, where would you like to start with that? All right. Well, like you said, we want people to be uh, live people coming in with questions. But here's some of the ones that we'll be starting with. We won't get to all these today. We'll be continuing over into next week as well. A lot of good questions. Uh, how do we understand Genesis 1 and 2 with the seemingly contradiction in chronological order, uh, at least contradiction that a lot of people uh, uh, believe is there or would say is there. Uh, how do we reconcile the violence of the Old Testament with the peace found in the New? Uh, here's one I don't know exactly what to make of. It says, why are you right biblically and everyone else is wrong? Scott, Scott. I don't recall yes. I ever heard I never heard you say you are right. Right, 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 right. Wrong. I've I've often been wrong and hopefully sometimes right. Uh I try to be right biblically, but yeah. Uh and, and today I'll probably give some answers that you may say, no, I think he's wrong on that one. Uh who is the man of lawlessness in Second Thessalonians two? Uh some other ones. If we're all one in Christ, why are so many churches segregated? Talk about racially there. Uh, why is the Holy Spirit not pictured as on a throne in Revelation, when the Father and the Son are pictured there? Uh, some, lots of good questions. Question about what is it talking about the kingdom of heaven is like Lebanon, Matthew 13. Uh, the Jehovah's Witness claim the kingdom hasn't come yet. How to differentiate between times Christ's Christ speaking plainly versus hyperbole. And why was Jesus baptized? Let's start with that last one. Why was Jesus baptized? You know, that's a, that's a really good question. And I think 
in some ways, John the Baptist had the same question when Jesus came to him. Let's look at Matthew chapter 3 on this. Uh, Matthew has a little more detail on this than Mark or Luke. And it says in Matthew 3, beginning in verse 13, when Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized him, John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So I think the simple answer to that question is found in Matthew 3, verse 15 where Jesus says, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Right. So Jesus is showing us by his own example what it means to fulfill all righteousness. And kind of like when he paid the temple tax, but he didn't have to. He pointed out he didn't need to pay the temple tax, but he, he sets an example and does. Yeah. All right. Drew, here's one. Uh, Joy writes, a Jehovah's Witness came to my door last week with a tract about the kingdom of God. They said the kingdom of God was still to come. Although we know it is already here, what are some good verses to point out that Christ is already sitting at God's right hand and the kingdom began when the Holy Spirit was given to the believers at Pentecost? Yeah, that's another good, they're all good questions. Uh, this one's kind of a favorite of mine, um, having a discussion music with somebody. I pointed them to the first verse I would go to. And again, everything we want to answer is from what the text says. And the first verse that I would go to is in Mark 9, chapter 9, verse 1. And it says here, and he, referring to Jesus, said, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And so I actually had that, uh, someone asked me the question, the same question, and I didn't want to tell them. I don't like to tell people what I think. I said, well, let's see what the scripture says. And I had the person read that. And they had to read it four or five times. And they kept saying, yeah, when the power comes in the future, when the kingdom comes in the future, it's going to come with power. We're all going to see it. I said, no, we'll read it again. When? And after about the fourth or fifth time, they looked at us and said, hmm, and they said, well, it looks like it's going to come when there's some people that are alive that he's speaking to. Duh. Yeah. yeah, that's it. That's the simple answer. Now, we get into trouble when we try to make other texts, especially from Revelation, to be literal and have different meanings. This one is clear as a bell. But I don't stop there. I also go over to Acts 2, and around 31, uh, yeah, verse 30. Peter's talking, he says, being therefore a prophet and knowing, talking about who? The prophet. Joel, right? Oh, David. David. I'm sorry, Joel was before this one. Yeah, this one's David. Before there, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with him an oath, with an oath to him, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, for he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. So it doesn't take much uh, interpretation to see it any other way than he's talking about Christ is going to be sitting on the throne 
when In fact, verse 33. And then now, exactly, verse 33. Therefore exalted, being therefore exalted, the right hand of God, at the reign of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. Which promise? Well, I think it's the promise that was talked about David, the prophecy of, of him coming through David. Um, and he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing, uh, for David did not ascend into heaven, but himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Uh, footstool. Let all the house of, their, of Israel therefore know for certain that God made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Bingo. He's a king, and he's standing there, uh, sitting yeah. in the throne. The last verse. What's that? Go ahead. Yeah, there in verse 33, I think, is where it nails it down. It says, being, ex- or, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. Where is Jesus? He's reigning at the right hand of God. That's the symbol of power, right? The right hand of, of God. And then he says, God made him Lord and Christ. Now, if he's, he's the Lord king. and he's reigning and there's no kingdom, what is he reigning over? It's a kingdom. That's right. Well, you need one more verse then. There's many others, but you need one more then to tie that in together to use that word kingdom. He starts it in uh, Mark, right? 9, 1. But then over in Colossians 11, Paul speaking. Colossians 1, I think you're. I'm sorry, Colossians 1. You mean there's no 11? (laughs) Colossians 1, verse 11. Paul says, for he... Uh, he has delivered us from the darkness, uh, from the domain of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Yeah, that's verse 13 there you've got. So right. Colossians 1, 13. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what it was? I was starting up at 11. I didn't need to start there. Now, that puts it to me that Paul is in the kingdom when he wrote that. Yeah. Jesus said, There'll be some of you standing here when you see the kingdom come. And Peter talks about David prophesying and talking about he's already now, well, now he's Lord sitting at the right hand. I don't know how you can get around it unless you have a particular agenda or you have a particular theology. You'll have to ignore these verses. You also have 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where it says that Jesus must reign till he's put his enemies under his feet, all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that'll be abolished is death. Then it says he delivers up the kingdom to the father. You can find that in first Corinthians 15 and starting in verse 25. Premillennialists have death being conquered before Jesus reigns. Paul has Jesus reigns until death is conquered. Yeah. All right, let's come to another question here. Uh, Taylor asks, how can we differentiate between the times Jesus is speaking plainly versus speaking in hyperbole, such as the difference between the command to be baptized in John 3 versus the teaching of tearing out your eye if it causes you to sin, Matthew 5. Before we get into those specifics, let me throw this out, guys. Uh, Did the apostles ever have trouble differentiating between Christ was speaking figuratively? On several occasions, they did. They took him literally. Well, there's one time at least where they're in the boat and Jesus already fed the 5,000 and the 4,000. And then he says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And they're like, we forgot to bring the bread. (laughs) And and he kind of gets frustrated with them. He's like, don't you understand? I'm not talking about physical bread. Um, And so uh, they're, 
because Jesus would switch back and forth sometimes between the figurative and the literal, uh, the disciples would misunderstand. And it's easy for us to misunderstand too. So that's a really good question to ask. Yeah. And in John, when he talks about, I'm going to go away and they're saying, well, we're going to go with you. And he says, well, I'm coming. And finally, at the end of that discussion, he says something that said, okay, now you spoke plainly. Now we understood. So certainly there is, he, he speaks figuratively sometimes in hyperbole sometimes and, and literally sometimes. So how do we tell the difference? Um, first, let's address this point. Um, Oftentimes, when people don't want to do what Jesus says, they'll say, well, I don't take that literally. Oh, yeah. Now, that implies what? If I say, I don't take it literally, it kind of sounds like I take it what? You take it literally, and sometimes you take things figuratively. Right, right, right. So if I don't take it literally, do I take it figuratively? But if, if it doesn't figure something out, like when, it's, when the Bible says, thou shalt not steal, I'm a burglar. Stephen reads to me a verse that says, thou shalt not steal. And I say, well, Stephen, I don't take that verse literally. <laughs> so you say, well, if it's figuratively, what was he talking about? Right. So if there's not a, if there's not something behind the figure, then maybe it's not a figure. <laughs> maybe it's, yeah. it is what it is. Uh, also, what about this? Um, if we take literally, now I, the principle of Matthew 5, what if, if you kept your foot, you were going to go to hell? What should you do? You should be willing to cut it off. Yeah. If your right hand was actually literally going to be the one thing that was going to send you to hell, what would you be better off doing? Cutting it off, throwing it yeah. away. So he, he literally means whatever you have to get rid of, get rid of it. Now, does that mean the first thing you do, it, you've lusted after your neighbor's wife, pluck out your right eye? Well, there's one problem with that. Still got a left eye. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Clearly there, he, he's, he's, he's talking in some hyperbole to get our attention and make us understand, get rid of whatever you need to get rid of. Did you ever notice, I don't, I don't think we have any record of any limping one-handed Christians. <laughs> Pirates. Yes. <laughs> they lost the right hand and they lost the right eye. So either yeah. something else is going on. I, there. I, just, I, I just want everyone to know I didn't set you up for that, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> really, I didn't. All right. Uh, uh, here's a question. Uh, Gabero says, uh, what does the parable of Matthew 13.33 mean? And that one says, the kingdom of heaven is like, let me just go ahead and read it. So I'm going to quote it correctly. Matthew 13, verse 33. Another parable spake he unto them, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. So what, what's, what's the idea there? What's the point of this? Well, it's interesting, and one of the challenges to this is usually when leaven comes up in the Bible, is it good or bad? Bad. Usually it's bad, but where the leaven of the scribes and Pharisees? Do you not know a little leaven leavens the whole lump, and that's talking about sin in the church. You need to get it out. Uh, but here he compares— Jesus had no feast of leavened bread. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Leavened bread. Yeah, there's spiritual significance to the unleavened bread uh, that we have— uh, going all the way back to Passover. 
So here in Matthew 13, he says the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. And so to understand, you have to look at what's being emphasized in the parable. In this parable, it seems like the emphasis is there's a little bit of leaven and it's in three measures of flour and all the flour is leavened. And so there's this picture of something spreading, of it growing, of their, of it, the ability uh, that the kingdom of heaven has to multiply and to grow. And of course, we'll see that Jesus takes 12 guys and they start out on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 are baptized. That's still not a lot in the whole world, but this thing just grows and multiplies all over. Um, and here we are 2,000 years later. Um, still reading and talking about this. And I think it's confirmed that that's the idea because there's another parable right with it. Look twice here in Matthew 13, or probably more than twice, where you have parables teaching the same thing. Like in 44 and 45, you have two little short parables, one of the treasure hidden in the field and one of a merchant seeking godly pearls. And both of them are, you know, there's some differences. The main point in each parable there is what? That... If you find something of great enough value, what do you do? Sell everything and go for it. So you also have a coupling of parables back earlier here. What was the parable right before the parable of 11? The mustard seed. Yeah. The kingdom of heaven is likened to a grain of mustard seed, which is a tiny little thing, uh, which a man, like if you ever shot a BB gun, you know, a BB, well, mustard seed's tinier than that uh, seems to be. Uh, so you got a grain of mustard seed, a man took, sowed in his field. It's less than all the seeds, but when it's grown is greater than the herbs. It says it becomes a tree. It's, it's actually an herb, but it can grow up to tree height. And so that's the idea here. It's something that starts off and spreads. All right. Anything else on that? Or are we ready for another question? Let's try another question. Let's see if our audience, do we have any uh, live submitted questions yet? Not we yet. On Facebook, but we have any come, coming in live yet? Not yet, but I will, I will suggest to the audience that if they have a follow-up a follow question based on any of the comments that we're making, this is a dialogue. Please get them back to us. Give us your comments and thoughts. Yeah, and you can, you can put your question there. If, if you're on Stephen's Facebook page, you can put a question on there. Uh, if you're at the BibleQuest.org, uh, you can put the question in there. There's also on the screen a number where you can text in your question. We would love to hear from you today. All right, Here's, here, here we go. Um, why is the Holy Spirit not pictured on a throne in Revelation? Of course, the passage he's thinking of is Revelation chapter 4, and who is on the throne in Revelation chapter 4? God is on the throne. And then... In Revelation chapter 5, who comes up beside him and takes the uh, uh, scroll? Yeah, yeah, the, the, the scroll and opens it. You get the lamb that is as though it had been slain. All right, and, and so the question is, why don't we see the Holy Spirit on a throne? Well, one interesting thing is, we do see the Spirit of God in Revelation 1, 3, 4, and 5 mentioned uh, a few times. It's interesting that the Spirit is, seems to be referred to as the seven spirits of God. Um, it's mentioned back in chapter 1, verse 4. 
It's mentioned again in the introduction to the letter uh, to Sardis in chapter 3, verse 1. Then it's interesting in chapter 4 and verse 5, it says that around the throne where the Father is sitting, it says that uh, they were burning, uh, version 4, verse 5, from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And then in chapter 5 and verse 6, we've got, and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Um, so there is this presence of a God's spirit, God's seven spirits uh, present in those passages in, uh, in Revelation. Scott, do you have thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, just uh, one is that there's a difference between starting where the Bible starts and starting with denominational theological terminology. If we start where the Bible speaks, does the Bible talk about the Father? Yes. Mm -hmm. The Son? Yep. Yes. The Holy Spirit? Yes. What, what immediate passage comes to mind that mentions both the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? By the way, real quick, uh, we do have a question in the comments on our Facebook page. We'll get to that in just a minute, Randy. Thank you for your question. I'll tell you what, if you want to, I can hold my thought on that if you want to go ahead and get us to that one, Stephen. Okay, I'm looking it up real quick. The question is, would 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 4 be considered a parable? And I'm double-checking, but I think this is going to be uh, what David, uh, when Nathan comes to David there after his sin with Bathsheba. Yeah. And you've got the, the parable... Uh, or, well, the question is, is it a parable? Yeah. Um, it says, there are two men in the city, one rich, the other poor. Um, he doesn't introduce it uh, and tell us what that is, but I would think this to be, in effect, a parable. Whether okay. it literally happened or not is not the point. The point is the figure. Um, this man took the one sheep that his neighbor had and killed it and you know, gave it to his visitor. Um, so I think we could definitely call that a parable. Would yeah. be my Nobody that. in David's day would have called it a parable simply because parable is a Greek word. Uh, but parable comes from para, which means like alongside of, like paramilitary is something along with the military. Paralegal is not the lawyer, but someone kind of along there. So it's kind of like alongside and bole to throw. So it's a story that you throw beside another one. Did Nathan throw a story beside what he did? Sure. True. You got a comment. Yeah. yeah. When, before you get back to the Holy Spirit on the throne uh, question, um, someone put it in on our uh, question box here with a question talking about the Spirit. Is it because the Holy Spirit is within us? In other words, why do we not hear about the Holy Spirit being on the throne is it because I know we, we were in the middle of discussing that, and then you went over to answer the parable question. I would sure. say not because the Holy Spirit is limited by space, that if he's here, he can't be there, but uh, it's a different role. And, and what I was going to suggest a minute ago is, is this. If we start with... Uh, Catholic terminology, uh, Protestant theology with the term Trinity, then sometimes that goes along with ideas that people have of the Trinity. Like Athanasius said, 
you know, that uh, there's no one greater, there, none is greater in the Trinity. You have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, none is greater. Well, the Bible, as we already saw a few minutes ago, oh, I was going to ask this question. Real quickly, where's the text where the Bible clearly distinguishes Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Isn't that Jesus when he gives the commission? Yeah, Matthew chapter 28. Yeah. Baptize him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Where's the text in the Bible where we clearly see, you can see where the Father is, you can see where Jesus is, you can see where the Holy Spirit is. Well, like we read earlier in Matthew 3, the baptism of Jesus. Yeah, who's in the water? Jesus, the Son. Yeah, who's speaking from above saying, this is my Son? God the Father. And who's descending in the form of a dove? The Holy Holy Spirit. Spirit. Yeah, so the Bible teaches the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Does the Bible ever use the term Trinity? No. No. And Athanasius' definition of the Trinity, which says none is greater than the other. What did Jesus in the Gospel of John clearly say about his role and the Father's role? The Father is greater than I, there in the Gospel of John. And so they don't all have the same role. The Holy Spirit is not the one that rules. He, he is not the one that reigns. Uh, the Holy Spirit, in, in Ephesians 3, what did the Holy Spirit do? Isn't that where it talks about he's executing things? He reveals the word specifically. Yeah, yeah he, he's revealing. And uh, who, who, who provided the empowerment for the miracles of both the apostles and Jesus in Matthew 12? The Spirit. Yeah, by the Spirit. And so it's a different role. And so we shouldn't really expect to see the Spirit on a throne. Yeah, I think, and you correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think we technically see even the Lamb on a throne. Um, he's there before the throne. He's being praised along with the one, to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Be glory and honor and, you know, these different blessings. Yeah, so, Revelation 5, he's beside the throne. Although in Psalm 110... You have the Lord said to my Lord, uh, sit on my right hand and rule. And you have Acts 2 saying that he would inherit the throne of David. But yes. in Revelation 5, it doesn't show him, as I recall, sitting on a throne. Yeah, and I, and I would also say that uh, the baptizing in the name of has to do with the authority of the Father and the Son yeah. and the Holy Spirit. So even in Matthew 28, you do have the Spirit. It's by his authority. Um, that uh, they're told to baptize. We had another, uh, Joy Reed asked another question related to the Spirit um, on our Facebook thread. It says, is that why it's called the Holy Spirit? Because seven is the perfect number. Uh, we certainly do see seven connected with God and with the Spirit in, in Scripture. Um, I'm not sure if that's why it's called the Holy Spirit. Uh, one thing about being holy is that it's connected directly with God. The yeah, Spirit yeah. is deity. Um, and it's also distinguished from the Holy Spirit is not the only spirit. Uh, we have spirits, and there are also unclean spirits, unholy spirits. Um, and you can read about those in the New Testament. So it's a, a distinguishing yeah. thing about God's Holy Spirit. Well, doesn't the word, ho- doesn't the word holy mean set apart, separate apart, unlike yes. other entities? Yes. Correct. Yes. And, he, and the Holy Spirit is called the Holy Spirit long before the book of Revelation is written. Uh, but it might, you might reverse it a little bit. He's described as seven because he is the Holy Spirit. You might, might word it that way. By yes. the way, I mentioned a text before, but I didn't give the reference. Um, Jesus said, and you see the role uh, of authority here. 
John uh, chapter 14, verse 28, um, I go unto the Father, the Father is greater than I. All right, uh, let's go one on. Other, one other quick thing on that. Uh, for your future study, I have heard the seven spirits of God connected to Isaiah 11 and verse 2 with the prophecy about Jesus coming as the stump of Jesse, uh, the root from his, uh, from the branch uh, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Um, depending on how you divide that, you can say that there are seven descriptions of the spirit in that verse. So um, more to talk about it another time, but yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. I'd like to go further with that again when we have more time. But I've not, uh, I'm not heard that connection. Here's yeah. another question: Why are you right biblically and everyone else wrong? Who made you keepers of the word? Well, uh, we're not. Nobody should look at us that we are the ones that are right and, and that we are the standard. One of my favorite verses in the book of Acts is Acts seventeen eleven where the Bereans are praised because when Paul spoke, what did they do? They listened to what Paul said, but after they listened, they did what? They went and checked the scriptures. Yeah. They went and checked the scriptures to see if it's so. Yeah. To see if what he said was so. Uh, I had a friend, she started taking a Bible uh, to church. She'd never had a Bible until she was old. Uh, her son gave her a Bible, and she started taking her Bible, and the priest said, what are you doing with that Bible? And she said, check up on what you're saying. And we want people to check up on what we're saying. That is right. Uh, as we, if I give you an answer on here, it might be right, it might be wrong. Look in your Bible and see. Uh, and if it's in the Bible, then believe it not because one of us said it, but because it's in the Bible. That is um, right. I, I, well, can I can I uh, add add, a, add another thought to that? Just hit me. Yeah. There are those, there there are those primarily one denomination that does claim to be the keeper of the word. Right there, there are people. Well, you've got um, yeah. The the Roman Catholic Church claims that it is the source of the word, the interpreter of the word. And I've heard yeah, and I've heard people say that they're the ones who brought it about over the centuries. And that's, that's not true, but I've heard that say, and that they're the keepers of it. And yet this is what I found to be interesting. When I was first studying the scriptures, there was things in there being raised. I was raised Catholic. There were certain things in there that, well, gee, that doesn't make sense. Things like Jesus having many other brothers, which is a good question people could be asking. Uh, the bishop must be married with children. And all of a sudden as a, as an adult Catholic, I said, wait, that doesn't make. So I went to the priest and I says, What's going on here? After much discussion, and this relates to the question about keepers of the word, um, I said, what's going on here? Because I want to hear it from his side of the point of view. I wasn't accepting everything this other preacher was telling me or this other person was telling me. And he said, well, Drew, you got it all wrong. It's the hierarchy of authority. Oh, wow. The Pope is at the top of the list. He's got the authority. They got the wrong top. And, the, uh, and underneath that, you have church tradition. That's the next level of authority. And then after that, you have the Bible. And then it hit me. These are so-called so keepers of the word, but they put that down at the bottom of the list. I just threw that in. It's, it was a little extra based on that. The- that's, that's very interesting. And, you know, Jesus, it's, it's similar to the idea. 
if you go back to the time of Jesus, who had been the keepers of the word? Yeah, the, the leader. Yeah, yeah, would you not say that the scribes were involved in the keeper? But who were some of Jesus' main enemies? The scribes and Pharisees. The scribes. And, and who is it that dressed differently and wanted special titles and special seats? The scribes and the Pharisees. And they also followed their traditions. And in Mark chapter 7, they came up and because they had this tradition about hand washing. It wasn't in scripture, but it was in their tradition. And this is Mark chapter 7, verse uh, 2. They had seen that some Jesus' disciples had eaten their bread with defiled, that is, unwashing hands. And so they said in verse 5, Why walk not your disciples according to the tradition of the elders? And Jesus said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do you worship me, teaching as their doctrines the precepts of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold fast the tradition of man. And then he also says, got- well, do you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition? Then he quotes scripture. Moses said, honor your father and mother. He quoted scripture. Then he shows their tradition, taught them uh, on occasion not to do that. And so we see there Jesus standing for scripture, not tradition. Stephen? We also have a, a, a comment here on the through the Zoom app, uh, Carolyn asked, he said, yes, my mom says that the Pope and Mary are there to pray to because God is busy and that they are to be respected. Um, and Oh, wow. I never heard of that one. I have not heard that one either. Um, certainly in the scripture, we see that God is available at all times. Um, I've also heard the, the idea that some have had that if, we, if if the Lord closes the door, Mary will open the window and let you in. Wow. So back to that question. So if the question, uh, when someone asks that question, I don't know what the motivation is for that type of a question. Oh, well, Caroline uh, oh. Uh, said also, I do disagree with that, though. So oh, okay, she's, she's good. Not good. I hear that. that. <laughs> okay. Uh, yes. Uh, Thanks, uh, Caroline, for your question. Who's Let's the keeper of the another, word? Scott. You have something else there, Drew? Yes, yeah, Scott, back to your, you, you being the keeper of the word. You're not. And then, no. Well, yeah. In defense of you, Scott, it's uh, you're looking at it, what it says, and like the Bereans, you want to make sure it says. When you then, what's interesting is when you say something from the scriptures and let the scriptures be the authority. Sometimes people transfer that to you that you're the authority, and that's 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 a mistake on their part because it's the scriptures that the authority. That's it. Bottom line. Yeah. When Peter came back and 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 God had told him you know, go with the Gentiles and and don't call them unclean. He comes back and said, who is I that I could withstand God? Who is I, got, that I could argue with God? It's we've got God. another live question in just a second here. Go ahead, Stephen. Uh, Randy Berry uh, asks on our Facebook thread, explain Romans ten fourteen, please. I had someone say to me the other day that at the end where it is said, where it, where it said preacher, Paul was talking about Jesus. I'm under the impression that Paul was talking about someone who is preaching. Romans 10:14 reads, "How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching?" I don't understand the question. Well, it sounds like um, Randy who here is a preacher. 
who is the preacher, the someone preaching, because in the first two questions, um, how will they call on him in whom they've not believed? That would clearly be Jesus. Uh, how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? That would clearly be Jesus uh, believing. But then the question is in the third question that Paul asks, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? I'm reading from the English Standard Version there. Yeah. And, um, Scott, do you have a comment on that? Yeah. Uh, I don't believe the preacher there is, is Scott, Drew, Stephen, because people can hear the word without Scott or Drew or Stephen. We're not the inspired apostles who, who went out and spread the word. But you, you have a chain of events here. We, we're created. Uh, the law was given. The prophets came. And then you have Jesus comes into the world, he dies for our sins, rises from the dead, says the Holy Spirit will be coming. He says there's more things that you need to learn, and the Holy Spirit, and he's talking to his apostles in the Gospel of John, says he will remind you of everything I said and guide you into all truth. He leaves, and the Holy Spirit comes on them as on the day of Pentecost. And Paul, when Paul is writing, listen how Paul describes it in Ephesians 3. And this is why one of the reasons why Paul is different than us, um, because we're, we're the ones reading it. We're not the ones delivering the message. Uh, verse 1 of Ephesians 3. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, in behalf of you Gentiles, if so be that you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God that was given me toward you, how that by revelation was made known to me the mystery, is I wrote before in few words, whereby when you read, you can perceive my understanding in the mystery of Christ. So God, through the Holy Spirit, gave revelation to Paul, the apostles and prophets. He mentioned both of those back in uh, here, uh, both in verse 5 and at the end of chapter 2. That's Ephesians. The beginning of Ephesians 3 is where I was reading from. And the apostles and prophets delivered the word. Now, without the Holy Spirit giving that revelation and without the apostles and prophets giving the word, how would the three of us or anybody in our audience today know about Jesus? We wouldn't. No. We wouldn't. But if people have what they wrote, then, I mean, we can help people, but people already have what Jesus said if they've got a Bible. You remember what uh, Abraham says to the rich man in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus? Tell somebody to go back to him in Jesus in, uh, in Jesus' parable. Abraham says they have Moses, Moses, and the prophets. prophets. Moses and the prophets were dead, but their word was still there, and that's the important thing. And so, how can they hear without a preacher? We need these inspired writers. Yeah, and we uh, can read them and exhort one another, but that's all we're doing. And the very next verse in Romans 10 uh, says, and how are they to preach unless they are sent, apostles, once sent out, um, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Yeah. Um, and so that's exactly what the apostles and prophets are going to be doing. And True. I'd like to add a little bit more to the conversation here. Back over in Ephesians, uh, where you stopped, was very insightful, no pun, no, pun intended, when he says, and referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight, that's Paul, into the mystery of Christ. 
Now, that's interesting. We all like mysteries. What are you talking about, Paul? He says, in other generations was not made known. That's why it was a mystery. They didn't know it to the sons of man, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets in the Spirit. Look at that comes back in with the Spirit. Now, what's the mystery? This is the good news. This is the ultimate good news. You Gentiles are now acceptable, and you can be a part of the kingdom. That's what he said there in the next very verse, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. That yeah. is the best news I ever heard, because without that, we Gentiles are being. I don't have God. Yeah. Indeed. All right. right, we're coming up close here on the end. Let's. Do we have any other before I go to the next question on our list from this morning that people submitted? Do we have any other live questions right now? I don't see any other live ones right at the All moment. Right. Um, I want to mention some of the questions at the end. We're going to read some of the questions that we'll be talking about next week because we didn't get to all of these, but let's go ahead and get to some more here. I really like this question. Let's each give one or two here. What are some passages that are easy to understand, but hard to put into practice? Ooh. First Corinthians chapter 13. <laughs> yeah. Now there are some, Parts of First Corinthians 13 that are tougher to understand, but that middle section, verses 4 through 7, uh, we can just start reading that. Read that for us, Steve. It's not too hard to understand what it's talking about. Yeah. Read that. <laughs> Give the reference uh, again. Give the reference again, Stephen. First, first Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 4. Love is patient. We can just stop right there and say that. Uh, who doesn't struggle with patience? Uh, we understand what that means, but putting in practice. Love is patient. Retired and, uh, doctors. What? Retired doctors. Retired. I have no idea what you're talking about. What? They don't struggle with patience. Uh, <laughs> so love, patient <laughs> and kind. Love does not envy boast it is not arrogant or rude it does not insist on its own way it is not irritable or resentful it does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth love bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things um, if you've got that down please let me know um, so that we can find out the secret to, to, to nailing every one of those. You and J.D. Copeland put that text to music, and it's a really, really helpful, helpful song. Um, I, I found exercise to do with this verse that's really, really challenging. And it's, it's kind of like, if you pour, what's that? When you get a cut and you pour that brown that stuff in the bottle on it, put it all hydrogen peroxide. Hydrogen peroxide. Where, yeah. where there's no problem on your skin, where it's not torn up, it just pours off like liquid. It doesn't do anything. But wherever the nasty cut is, what does it do? It bubbles up. Yeah, it bubbles up. Yeah. Read ah. this text and put your own name in there instead of love, and it will hit you where you need to work. Yeah. For example, if I read this and I say, Scott is patient. Bubbly, bubbly. <laughs> Scott <laughs> is kind. Scott envies not. 
et cetera, et cetera. Like when I read Scott envies not, that one doesn't sting at all because I, I, I'm, I'm not an envious person. But some of those other ones like Scott is patient. Lots of times Scott has been the exact opposite of patient, which means whenever I'm doing that, I haven't really loved. had love. I was not acting out of love because what is it? That, and, and so go through and see which part stings for you. It's a, it's a humbling passage to go through each point. Yeah. Amen. I know when you can't, I know when you can't keep, I know it's impossible. There's no way you tell me you can keep this one. Uh, First Corinthians 14, one. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Oh yeah. <laughs> I could desire it. The pursuing of love you can do, but the second part of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, you're not. The, the time of the pro is it mentioned in a few verses ahead. The which I'm surprised we have not had any questions on the spiritual gifts. Yeah. I'd like to see us get some for next week. Let's talk about some of the questions we didn't get to today. Thank everybody that submitted questions live. Yes, thank, thank you. People that gave us some questions on Facebook ahead of time. Uh, for next week, here's uh, some things we didn't get to today that uh, we can be looking at for next week. How do we understand the first and second chapters of Genesis giving seemingly contradictory accounts of creation? Uh, how do we reconcile the violence of the Old Testament with the peace found in the New? Uh, why are many churches segregated, uh, racially speaking? Um, is the covering of the head for women described in 1 Corinthians 11 still in effect today? Who is the man of lawlessness in 1 Thessalonians 2? Who is the man of lawlessness? So those are some questions we did not get to today, and we'll be trying to get to some of those next week. Probably That's still a lot of questions. Probably won't get to all of them, but we hope to get to most of those next week. And we hope to get some new ones, too. Yes. Yes. Thanks to everybody who submitted questions. Keep the questions coming. We want to to have a place where people can go with their questions. Sometimes questions are just shut down, but we want to be able to give the best answers we can from the scriptures about uh, what God expects from us. And not, so. not only, it's not so much that, and I agree with you, but they're not just shut down because people don't want to answer them if you're in a Bible, at least in the classes I have. It's just because the time doesn't allow it for the particular material you're trying to teach. But in this type of environment, this in this Bible quest, it's a quest, and we want to hear the questions from everybody, and we'll do the best we can and see what answers we find. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks to everybody. Thanks, everybody. Uh, we'll see you next week, Tuesday at 2, Lord willing. Bye. Bye-bye. You have to end it, Stephen.